Hi, and welcome to Zed Games. Recorded live at 4ZZZ Studios in Brisbane and broadcast nationally over the community radio network, Zed Games brings you the latest gaming news, reviews, and interviews from across Australia and around the world. Good evening, you're listening to Zed Games coming at you live on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM or around the nation thanks to the Community Radio Network or on Zed Digital. My name is Razor and joining me is Adrian, my co-host. Heyo! And we've got a jam-packed show for you later on. We're going to be talking about virtual reality experiences. I've just got the PSVR and I'm keen to talk about that as well as the weekend gaming news headlines. But before all that... Gives me great pleasure to introduce our in-studio guest, Brett Levy. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you, mate. Um, great to be here. And uh, Brett, you are the, f- the creator of uh, the virtual heritage project, Virtual Songlines. Mm. Sounds very, very exciting. Can you give us a brief overview of that? Yeah, I will. And uh, um, Virtual Songlines is a program we're working on, and it's uh, a toolkit. And it's a toolkit that's based on Unity. And if anybody out there is a game developer, they would know Unity. I won't go into the Unity versus Unreal debate, but that's another another <laughs> interview. But what we're doing is we're using the Unity game engine, and we're building this toolkit to map Aboriginal culture in three-dimensional space and to present all the knowledge and connection to country in that virtual environment. And we're asking, eventually, when we deliver each project, to do that across all the capital cities and regional towns across Australia. And I thought, you know, looking at the actual, um, one of the videos that's that's been created to sort of um, show off what the um, software can do, I thought it was really amazing, you know, speaking to having it represent different cities in the country. What I thought was really striking is how you've got this virtual environment where you're seeing sort of skeletons of what the buildings that exist today look Mm -hmm. like, um, but obviously you've, you've, you we're traveling through back through time mm-hmm. in, in virtual song lines to a time when those weren't there, but you can kind of see that contrast between mm-hmm. the, the different time periods. Yeah. I mean, the way we did that was we set it at 1770 and it's before the arrival of Captain Cook's Endeavor. And the way we, way we gave people context. So where'd they, where'd they know where they were is by this ghostly form of the buildings. Mm. But the other part of it is that we then place on that the cultural heritage layer. And we, we, we say this is a game, but it's a pretty serious game. It's a serious game. And the, 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 the sites of the, of the town, of the camps, the sites of the tracks, the gathering sites, the um, bush food sites, the bush medicine sites, they're all, as much as we can make it, authentic to space and authentic to the local people. So when we did the one you saw, maybe you saw one of our videos of Sydney mm. around S- Sydney Cove. That was the one, yeah. Yeah, you would have seen um, um, campsites in that and, and animals in that. Those sites were placed where the Gadigal people felt they were. And we speak with the Gadigal. We speak to the Metro Land Council. And it's like when we do this, we do like a connection report with them or we take their connection reports and we and we take the sort of public domain information that they want to share and we place it into the world then we ask people to live in that space for a day and walk in the footsteps of first nations people you know start a fire gather some you know greens some vegetables go to the cultural supermarket and then and survive for that day um drink from the river 
you know, and then and and craft tools and weapons, and that's the experience. It's pretty fun, and um, and beyond all that, it sounds all rewarding. There's also harm. And you what get, would that be? Well, you can trip, bit, get bitten by a snake, fall off a cliff. Um, if you're not careful, if you don't listen to the wisdom of the elders, you'll get hurt. There's um, it, it, there's a craft in surviving. If you don't eat regularly, if you get too hungry, you, you slow down, you fatigue. Um, if you eat the wrong food, you get stomach bugs. So we want to mirror that and, and know, you know, we know about bush foods. You heard about bush medicines. Well, it's one thing to describe it in a book. Another thing to gather it and use it uh, on your virtual character when you and when you are harmed or injured or hurt. Mm. You know, looking into this, uh, you know, I was actually doing a bit of browsing on your website, um, mm. the Virtual Songlines website, mm. and just sort of seeing the different um, applications that are involved mm. with the software. Um, and there was the cultural survival game. Is that what you're speaking to right now? Yeah, we are. It's sort of, a, it's a bit of both. There's this game where you want to challenge people. We want people to be in that world and, um, and, and survive and see how long they can survive. Yeah. And the other part of it is we've got these exhibits where we want to put these um, our shows into galleries and museums and libraries. Uh, we've done a lot of those with Natick Week just passed, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we showcased a lot of um, the famous women in that because the theme of this last period was because of her weekend. Um, and we in that week we delivered a project in Lake Macquarie, uh, one in Horsham in uh, along the Woomera River, and another one in Melbourne, and then uh, we're working on. Well, we haven't re- really finished the one in Brisbane. Uh, one for Brisbane called Virtual Maywa. Awesome. Do your listeners know what Maywa means? Maybe not. Could you flesh that out for us? That's the name for the Brisbane River. So Virtual Maywa is the the all the sites, all the campsites, and all the places where the Aboriginal people lived in Brisbane, along Brisbane. And I suppose education really is, you know, the, the key tool. And I think one of the amazing things about this project is how it's, you know, utilizing game mechanics, which, you know, traditionally you, you say that it's 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 a serious game, yeah. but obviously, you know, there are elements there that are meant to keep the the player or the person who's being immersed in the um, in the project engaged, and you know, to have some sort of sort of sort of fun. I mean, are you trying to balance the educational with the fun? Yeah, we wanna we wanna um, do something that's empathetic. We want people to, you know, change hearts and minds. We want them to feel challenged, and um, we want it to be edutainment. Mm. Yeah. So there's educational in it, but not it's not really for educating or you know educational purposes alone. Um, we want to sneak up on that. Mm. Um, you know, if you know any kids that play a game, and they they can verbatim tell you all about it. They can speak, you know, quite quite um, verbosely about it. Mm. Um, and I think that's just great. But uh, and so when you we do this, we want to. I think there's a lot in the kinesthetic learning that can come out of a game, um, if it's a s- sort of game that's engaging. We know we've got to compete. We've got to compete with the likes of um, Fortnite. <laughs> um, we've got to be, and 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 we're we're getting there, um, and that's what's exciting. We've got this great challenge. We've got a great platform. We've got really good content. There's so much to tell that's not funny. And then when you tell it the right way with the myths and the legends that come out of it, it's as 
fantastic as anything you would see in fantasy. It's a great point because, you know, you speak to a game like Fortnite and if you were to, you know, go into any high school or primary school today, I'm sure any kid could start just absolutely telling you every single tidbit about that game, speak the lingo. And I guess being able to do that um, for a game that represents such an important history um, to the country is really, really important. Well, I mean, I don't know if you guys have spoken to this on your program yet, but there's a lot of backlash about Fortnite, about the addiction Yes. Mm, yeah. yeah. And um, so, and uh, there's a real art to getting kids to be addicted in a game and to really engage and not want to turn it off. And that's what I think many, many parents around, well, I've heard in Greater Brisbane, are trying to deal with. Now, we want to, you know, take up that dark art of game addiction in what we do. But rather than have it be, you know, in a frivolous way... Mm. And it is a bit frivolous. Um, and it's still fun, don't get me wrong. We want to make ours just as engaging, just as addictive, and then for them to really be challenged and, and achieve that same end. And I think we can. I think we can do that. I think we can do it by the um, the authenticity we bring to it. The fact that the spear they have to the craft is going to be a spear that, um, when they actually do craft it, came and you might find it in the Queensland Museum as an authentic spear that belongs in space. The club they use to hit that goanna on the head is going to be the club that you might see in the in the glass cabinets. Or even that axe, that stone axe that's down in the cellars of the museum that's not on show because it's it's in the archives. We want to reintroduce that axe into the real world, out of that institution and into um, a space where the kids can apply it. And then they won't even realise that they're using things that were historically authentic, real to space and real to place. We don't want a shield from South Australia in Brisbane, if you know what I'm saying. Mm. So the authenticity of all the items in the game is, is very important to you as the creator of the game? Yeah, geospatially accurate. Would you invent something um, for the sake of progressing in the development of the game, even if it wasn't authentic, if, uh, you, know, if you couldn't find the exact... Uh, spear, for example, would you would you create one after your um, imagination? No, no, because there's a lot of assets. No, and and the thing is, if we if we did do that, we would have been finished five years ago. The thing is that I like the challenge of going mm. to the museums. I mm. like pushing their buttons, knocking on the door, and um, trying to get in. Um, those institutions sometimes aren't our friend. Um, indigenous culture is not dead. And in re- in regenerating it in a virtual world in a gaming environment is bringing it back to life. And it, you spoke to some of the um, kinesthetic educational purposes that mm-hmm. this game can really um, bring forth. Uh, are there v- there VR applications for this? Um, mm. You know, can you speak to how people can interact with the project? Mm. Yep, we've got well, yes, we've got VR, mm-hmm. we've got AR, um, we've got it on a PC. We're looking at how to bring it to the iPad. So there's lots of different ways of generating uh, uh, an executable on any of those platforms. The thing is that we're building this virtual 3D space. So the question is, how do you interrogate that space? How do we bring people into that space? How do we get a voyeur experience out of it? Mm. Mm. 
I think that's that's one of the main things. You know, yeah, voyeur is a really interesting word to mm-hmm. use um, because you know there are so many different ways that we can consume and be educated by history. Mm-hmm. But I think you know using the digital front as as you are with this mm-hmm. project is is really really new and interesting, and mm-hmm. I think something that's going to be really intriguing to a totally different audience that wouldn't have previously consumed that, that sort of thing. Like, mm. you know, the kids that you spoke to mm. that are so obsessed with, you know, games like Fortnite mm. and whatnot. Or the old people. Yeah. See, the thing is that people keep thinking about this for the kids, but I think we've got something that's good for, um, you know, all genres, all ages. Um, well, our genre for all ages is what I mean to say. Mm. And, uh, so that's, what's really rewarding. And, uh, I've, done tens of thousands of demonstrations to First Nations people across Australia and it's so rewarding and when when we're driven, why are we driven? We want to do a good thing. We want to do a very authentic thing. We want to make it look as triple A as we can make it. Mm. Uh, we've got those standards. But what helps us along is that when we get the feedback from our communities in all different places. Um, I had old people crying in Horsham. Wow, and that moves us, and I'm, and it makes the responsibility we've got to get it right, authentic, mm, so important. Um, I even had um, old people come down from, um, you know, the um, Blue Mountains when I had a show in um, in Sydney Cove, the Warani one that you yeah. uh, we spoke about earlier. They were saying the same, and then there's a few people, mostly the boys, <laughs> the men, who get a bit cranky about it. And mostly because they um, they wanted to do it as well, okay. but they don't know how. Um, my thoughts to them is: don't be determined, don't sleep, <laughs> and then um, and then uh, get a lot of people that are smarter than you to help you. So, how long um, ago did the project start development? Oh, I'm scared to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, when I first put it on paper. 71. 1971? Yep. Just the overarching holistic kind of concept. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that obviously predates not only virtual reality technology, obviously, but a lot of the the modern technologies that we take for granted now in gaming, like the, yeah, like yeah. the fact that interacting in a virtual world, an open world environment, and yeah, even like a color video game. Yeah. 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 No, I was writing this on paper. I was drawing this on paper. I was... I was always trying to draw um, through the page. Right. And how do you do that? And how do you move through a page? So whenever I watched TV, black and white TV back then, how do you move through the TV? How do you get into that space? And um, when you're watching the... And the culture I used to watch back then was cowboys and Indians. And uh, and I don't know why, but I was always... I, I used to think the Indians weren't treated very well. But then I realised when I got older that I had this bent, because I'm an Aboriginal fella, that that's sort of why you have to take the other side. Mm. <laughs> um, and then, um, and so you're always thinking, hey, what would it be like to be there? What would it be like to be on that horse, riding through that? And um, you know, you might think of a game these days called Red Dead Redemption. Mm. So um, that's that sort of stuff. So, in effect, um, that's what inspired me back then. And I was writing it on paper in the back of the class in um, um, Infant Saver School at Burley Heads. Wow, here we are today. And yeah, what sort of um, development effort do you have around the project? Do you do you have an office? Do you have a large amount mm. of staff or just a tight-knit um, team? I've got 
all my staff, and I wouldn't call it, they're my evangelists. Mm. So um, I've got a great set of, t- set of guys. Um, we're over at Spring Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a co-working lab with um, others um, that do startup type businesses. So we get supported there. Um, one of my guys, Dorian Douse, is just brilliant. He's uh, older than me, and he tells me what I'm thinking. Um, he doesn't ever say yes. You're, we always got to argue to get your point across, and I love that sometimes. <laughs> um, the other fellow I've got there, a young fellow, Yorta Yorta, Torres Strait Islander fellow called Kirill Rigby. Um, he's, he, he does all the AI. He's brilliant good, uh, very good at what he does. Um, and, um, and we're always trying to work it out. He's presently working on a video to reconstruct the sort of day in the life of the Aboriginal people for the Gadigal back mm. there in Burani at the moment. We're grappling with that. Another guy I've got is Ian McDowell, and he's, um, he's a programmer. He just troubleshoots and fixes things. So the codes, code we have, have he optimizes it and shortens it or finds better ways. And he's growing as a programmer. He's getting much stronger all the time, and um, we always push each other. So I'm a bit like him, and, and I'm saying, what about this and what about that? And we, we get the code better. Uh, Nathan, Nathan Clarkson, he's the, like, he's the, the, like the cement. He brings it all together. So everybody does their bits, and of course they they come into the hole uh, through Nathan, and um, I look over at his shoulder every so often. Sometimes they call me the helicopter. Why is that? I buzz around, and <laughs> when I when I come into land, I make a lot of noise. And I go away. <laughs> it's it's really good to hear. You've got a. It sounds like you've got a really good group of um, really passionate people. Yeah, they're yeah. they're my evangelists. I've got a couple of others. I've got a young lady called Kate Greenwood, who's an archeo. I've got a historian that we call on from time to time called Dr. Ray Kirkov. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of uh, gathering and then dumps it. So there's a couple of others I have. And, and then, of course, um, my main people are, are the Aboriginal people I deal with. So we can't forget they're sort of part of the team mm. because it's their stories and their inspiration, their critique, their hard, hard look at you when you don't get it right um, and how they want you to get it right. They don't realise how hard it is sometimes, I might add. Um, but you want that within a, I suppose, a, they might be our client, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. For those who just joined us, we're speaking with Brett Levy of the uh, Virtual Song Alliance project. Yeah. Uh, Brett, the educational applications for this project seem incredible. Like mm. when I just think about the possibilities for educating young people in Australia, it, it blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely something that could be um, used worldwide as well for um, indigenous populations around the world, not like beyond Australia. Mm. Uh, are you currently working with, with any other uh, groups to, to make that happen? Yeah, we are. Well, I'll just come back to the education question, um, part of it. Um, lots of schools are interested in this, so we're just trying to make that work as best we can. Um, we're not really ready to go with the schools. I mean, because if you want to do something with a school, you've got to really think about the curriculum values and how you how you can uh, make that work and make the job of the teachers easier because teachers um, are really hard pressed and we don't want to come there with something that's not going to make their life easier and I think if we can do what we've got to do in terms of the back end the back end being Google Analytics of a user's movement through it so to see that they're actually achieving and comprehending and acting and performing that can all be assessed in a sense we want them to follow in the footsteps of the elders and listen and learn. So that's that educational aspect. Now coming back to international stuff, yeah, that's uh, that's where we really are inspired. Um, um, 
we've got talks with about seven different Indian groups, Navajo Apache being a couple, um, Miwok being another. They're around Sacra- Sacramento. And there's another group. There's a couple of groups I can't pronounce because they're, <laughs> their, their names are too long. I did talk to the Inuits once. Um, uh, and there's some examples, some very good other games out there that um, only a couple, only a couple that are built with their their interests in mind. I had a yarn with some people or groups, indigenous groups from Machu Picchu. Do you know Machu Picchu? Mm. Um, and uh, and there's even a group from Russia, an indigenous group from Russia we talked to. Amazing. So, um, but beyond all that, um, we're just not ready for that. I mean, the world's a big space. And uh, we are sharing the idea and other people will move um, like we're moving. And I'm sure... The, you know, you can imagine how big the international space is for this type of thing as people get up to speed. It's getting easier and easier. So all we can hope for is to be the Coca-Cola, you know, because uh, we don't mind if there's a tab or a Sprite or a Diet Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you want to be the pioneer in, in the space of this virtual yeah. heritage preservation? I think we That's are. Awesome. I think we are. But um, you could ask others. To... <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, this is the... I only heard about the project in within the past two weeks, mm-hmm. and I suppose, you know, with, with myself, there are going to come more. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, are, are you ramping up to a, a really large-scale release? I mean, what stage of development are you in right now with the project? Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little to that? We iterate. So we, you know, if you can imagine what I'm like, I'm, um, I'm not ever happy with where we're at. I don't think... It, it, this is like an artistic work, too. So any artist, if you've met any artist, you'll know that they're never happy with their their best work is yet to come. And we're working towards that. Um, I think the yarn we had today with QUT and the Motion Capture Lab there, the, 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 their, their design lab, was really, really positive. And uh, I think if our animations are great, but if we can get Aboriginal people with their mocap suits on, the sort of techniques that we use to make Gollum look as real as he does, or anybody like that, we're going to really do some great stuff. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, we're in the lab tomorrow with a number of groups doing the last corroboree at the RNA showgrounds. Wow. Which will be special and uh, and doing the York's Hollow trip, you know, which was one of the pathways that the people from west and north took to come into that um, meeting space. Now, that's that's where we want to be. If we get there, gee, that will be just something. Brett, it has been a pleasure having you on the program. Yeah. Uh, for those who are interested in the project, can you point them to someplace they can find more information, perhaps on the internet? Yeah, yeah. Um, our, our website is um, www.virtualsonglines.org. Um, so please visit. If, you've, if you see the videos, you've got something to say or something to offer, we're, we're, we don't have all the answers, so if people want to come back to us and give us some thoughts, some advice, some techniques, if they want to be involved, we're happy for that. Um, we're um, sneaking up on a big thing, um, and uh, if it does work out, we want to build what we, what we call a, a cultural earth, and you know the equivalent of that, Google Earth. Mm. So, wow, that's highly ambitious. Yeah. Become the Coca-Cola and Google Earth yep, of, of <laughs> yeah, well, historical projects. Well, you know, you've got to drink Coca-Cola to get a good programming night in. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, Brett Levy of Virtual Songlines. You're listening to Zed Games with me, Razor, and Adrian. Hey. And we're about to go over the week in gaming news headlines. What do we have, Adrian? So, Konami has shut down a fan-made version of the PS4 horror teaser, P.T., The original game was a short first-person horror experience created as an elaborate way to unveil this Silent Hills reboot, which has since been cancelled. The 17-year-old amateur game developer of an unauthorised PC version of the game was contacted by the makers of the game in order to cease development and distribution. There's a silver lining, however, as Konami has reportedly offered the boy an internship at the company. Hmm. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I, I guess you got to be pretty stoked with that if, if you're the person who created the project, not so much if you're someone who wanted to consume it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> People just want their, their PT, man. Yeah, I mean, it's been like a, a, a long time since that came out. Yeah, and, and there was a way to... Because you could download the demo, yeah. and you could... I think if you didn't, as long as you didn't delete it, you could still play it. Yes. But you couldn't re-download it after that. That's right. They took it off the store and and you can't get it from the PlayStation store anymore. And then people were trying to sell these PlayStations with the demo on it (laughs) for like inflated sums. Limited edition PlayStation that has a piece of software downloaded on it. Yeah, (laughs) no, it was crazy. I mean, it's been a a huge smash hit, uh, a real big cult thing. Uh, For me, I was too cowardly to play it. Uh, I did download it and I turned it on. And as soon as I took a few steps in the game and I realized where it was going, I, I turned it off. You know it's that, that terrifying. Have you have you watched any footage of the game where there's that baby that shows up at one point? Yeah, yeah, I well, saw a bit of that. That baby is you. Oh. Yeah. Wow. You scaredy cat. That's crazy. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, some might call me a chicken. I just say that I have a low tolerance for immersive horror experience no that's fair enough yeah. i don't judge I'm, I'm just being harsh on you just as harsh as the people who loved pt and wanted wanted silent hills felt after it was unceremoniously unplugged from the development pipeline yeah and you know what it's a shame uh yomo del toro was involved in that he was um but we've got now we've got death stranding yeah happening. I, I suppose that's the spiritual successor to that you could say yeah maybe there's babies yep yep which is even crazier because now those guys were sort of beholden to the Silent Hills franchise before, but now they're just, they're off the chain yeah, they to are. do whatever the heck they want. Let's hope Death Stranding isn't too scary for you to play that one. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> James Olin, a 22-year veteran of uh, Mass Effect and Dragon Age Studio Bioware, has announced his retirement from the video games industry. Olin was the lead designer of legendary role-playing games Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, Neverwinter Nights and Dragon Age Origins, and he also directed Star Wars The Old Republic. His next project is creating official source books for the Dungeons and Dragons pen and paper RPG. 22 years. What a pedigree. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Some of those games that I mentioned before are some of my all-time favorites. Um, So I owe this guy, like, a huge debt just as far as, like, uh, the the number of hours that I've sunk into those games. Um, so that's crazy. I mean, it sounds like he's doing what he wants to do now, doing Dungeons & Dragons stuff. Yeah, what were the most formative games for you from that list of uh, titles he worked on? Baldur's Gate 2, probably the first one. Um, the scope of that game is is incredible. Um, you just you dropped into a world and it's it's yours to explore, and as well as that, you've got these crazy companions that have their own quirks and stories, and occasionally they'll disagree with, with the... Um, the actions you take, mm-hmm. and it really just opened my eyes to what a role-playing game could be. Yeah, um, it, it's amazing and, and interesting as well. Uh, amazing because, obviously, you know, James had a 22-year-old, 20, 22-year-long career. Um, but amazing because 
you know, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, Neverwinter Nights, they're games that I know well, but not games that I've played. Uh, they were just kind of a bit before my time. Um, whereas, you know, I've played Dragon Age and I've really, really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a similar vibe to the way you described Baldur's Gate. Yeah. You know, it didn't have like a massive open world per se, but it had that world building. It had that story. It had the characters that you could play off and that classic Bioware style that they're so well known for where you have this, you know, ragtag group of of people kind of coming along on your quest and, uh, you know, you get to romance some of them, some of them you get to yeah. get on the wrong side of. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's amazing that he he was there for all of it. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's something. It is um, maybe a bit of a warning signal, however. I'm just taking, like, you know, a kind of pessimistic view. Now, Bioware lately hasn't been... The Bioware that it once was. Uh, the last game they put out, Mass Effect Andromeda, poorly received by us here at Z Games and I think generally across the board. Um, the next game they're working on, Anthem, doesn't seem to be hitting the same notes as basically what Bioware games have been known for in the past, which is you know classic epic stories and great characters and uh, very huge and engaging single-player experiences. Anthem looks to be more like a Destiny-like, uh, grindy shooting game, um, which is a bit of a shame, uh, maybe. I suppose we'll have yeah. to wait and see. I think it's interesting to sort of, you know, look at look at a studio like Bio, which is known for creating games with such massive stories that can be told, but then saying, hey, you know, maybe some of the stories you're going to interact with aren't just with non-player characters. Maybe they're with the people that you're playing the game with. Yeah. And how can we meld those two things together you know the 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 carefully written characters who can react to the choices you make versus the people that you're playing the game alongside with who you're also you know interacting with at the same time i suppose we'll have to wait and see yep abusive and toxic behavior in overwatch has been reduced by 25 percent, according to creative lead jeff kaplan last month the game introduced an endorsement system allowing players to commend one another for positive behavior like sportsmanship leadership and team play Players have a ranking from 1 to 5 displayed alongside their name based on the number of endorsements they've received in-game. Yes, I've been playing Overwatch last few weeks, and I've noticed it. I've noticed people uh, generally being less abusive and a lot more GGs, which means good game. What's your uh, endorsement rating? I'm I'm on 2. Two. So what's what's the scale? You start one... off on one, and then you can go up to five if you're like an angel, oh, basically. Long way to go. Yeah, <laughs> you've been trolling a few people, have you? <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you can't. I don't think you can lose points, or maybe you can. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been really good, uh, and I've noticed actually a shift in my own behavior. Yeah, you wanna you wanna uh, be nice. You wanna be yeah, more sportsman yeah, like. Yeah, like um, no, no more teabagging. <laughs> <laughs> Got Can't do the teabagging anymore. Yeah. yeah, I used to enjoy riling up some of my teammates i i will admit that uh just because you got you got a minute at the start of the match and you know you're setting up and there's not much to think about so i used to like you know just just trying to get a reaction i wasn't never abusive i never swear yeah. or insult someone but i'd just say zany things non sequiturs yeah fair uh, enough to see what people said but i've stopped doing that i think you know yeah. it, it's good to see a system like this coming out of a competitive game i guess in a scene that is let's be real not well-known for nice people. Yeah. You know, the online competitive gaming scene. You know, games like League of Legends and other titles, you know, do get a bad rap just because that competitive nature of the titles can breed elitism, can breed 
a toxic culture can breed uh, trolls. Yeah. And it's, it's really good to see a system like this being implemented. And, you know, saying that toxic behavior has been reduced by 25%, actually putting a metric on that, that's pretty cool. Um, I suppose they might be measuring that with some some sort of sentiment reporting. I don't know how what their actual... Yeah, I'm not sure what. It could be the number of uh, reports they're receiving mm. because there is an in-game report system for, for abuse and spam and all those things. Mm. Uh, yeah, so... But we all want to have a good time playing playing games online, and that's really cool. It is good. And you know what? It's kind of innovative in a way because most companies who have these toxic communities, and there are a lot of a lot of games that have terrible communities, as you mentioned... Uh, they typically use negative, um, like like punishment, mm. to to deal with the troublemakers. But this is in this, it's rewarding good behavior and sort of giving you a not really consequential but still visible uh, reward. Yeah, you know, by that's peer based, which I think is important. Yeah, as opposed absolutely. to like the the ban hammer coming down from the server or yeah. from the you know the the admin or whatever the GM exactly so you want to be you want to have that badge of honor that says yeah I'm I'm a cool guy like I, I'm the I'm rank five at being awesome yeah you know it doesn't matter <laughs> it's if, so wholesome if, I love it if you if you if there's a system like of progression it doesn't matter what it is players will jump on it and just want to want to want to grind it and want to get up there let's gamify being yeah. nice that's man it's great who'd have thought we'd get to that point i think we'll see it a lot more from other companies now and i hope we do especially in, in league of legends and dota and all those other games yeah. that i can't play just because it's full of really nasty people i just man every time i try and learn how to play a moba it's like some people want to guide me other people want to guide me with an iron fist yeah. let's put it that way <laughs> this is the zed game show with me razor and adrian and uh, I've been playing around with last couple of weeks with PlayStation VR, and uh, I've I've used VR in the past. Uh, I've used all the the headsets, the Oculus Rift, the uh, HTC Vive, uh, but this is the first time I've really had it at my home and being able to experience VR at at my own pace, at my leisure. Yeah, and spend some real time in it. What have you uh, been playing? Uh, the main game I've been playing is Wipeout, the Omega Collection. Wipeout and VR? Oh, yeah. Ha- uh, did, have you been sick yet? No. I don't know if I've got an iron stomach, but it just doesn't make me sick. Uh, another game I've been playing, Skyrim VR. I have experienced some signs of motion sickness, mm. although uh, not, not, not enough to stop me playing. Yeah. So I know that is a problem for a lot of people, the the disconnect between like the virtual locomotion and the stationary body sort of creates a, a motion sickness effect. It's interesting. I mean, I've been playing a bit of Resident Evil on the VR and yeah, there's that kind of effect where because you have the depth perception on the VR, you know, not only do you have the the sort of spatial movements you can make in terms of moving your head left to right and up and down, but you can kind of move your neck forward and move around in the space with that extra sort of like there's that extra dimension to it and i feel like that creates an effect where you know coupled with you moving the control stick to control the camera whilst your head is also Mm -hmm. being responsible for like moving a different part of the camera yeah it creates yeah that weird disconnect that spatial disconnect where your body just doesn't know what's going on, and like your yeah, like your uh, your sense of what's going on can lead to some ill feelings in yeah, the stomach, shall we say? Absolutely. In Skyrim, uh, your it's a first person game, so your your view is your character's view, and you'd think that would work fine, but 
when you move, you move the uh, the left control stick, and that takes you forward. You can also rotate your your vision, like like going around in a circle. And that kind of creates a, a strange sensation, yeah. Uh, rotating because you can tilt your head around, and that has a normal sort of one-to-one uh, effect of you, you're you're looking in the game where you're looking in real life, and it and it feels normal. But then adjusting your viewing angle with the stick creates a, a dissonance. Dissonance is a good word mm. to describe it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know that said, I think it's what do we call this? Growing, growing pangs. You know, is this is this kind of accepted as as part of the hardware? I mean, it's part of the charm. I right? think so. Like, I think it was more prevalent in early titles when they weren't so mindful of the motion sickness thing. Uh, with Wipeout, the Omega Collection, however, they've they've actually done a lot to cater for motion sickness. Um, to start with, the fact that you're in a cockpit. It's a first-person perspective. Okay. You're in copy. So you're, you're seated in the game, and you're seated in real life, ostensibly. And um, that sort of makes sense to your mind. You know, be- even though your craft is, is hurtling at three, 400 kilometers per hour down a, a windy track that just bends all, in all directions, yeah. um, you're still kind of uh, grounded to the virtual world because you're in, you're in a craft and your your brain sort of acknowledges that in the same way that you uh, you can be in a car and not freak out. It's a responsible way to do it. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were playing it the traditional wipeout way with a third person perspective. You just yeah. had to like move your head to steer left and right. Yeah, <laughs> that you, wouldn't be a good time. You can actually do that in the game if if you'd like. If well, you, you can dare. steer. You can oh, you can play in. You third can person. play with a third person. Not steer with your head. Not, not steer okay. with your head. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a hazard. We don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to endorse that. There is also an option when you're in first person mode to sort of uh, tunnel your vision a little bit, so the the uh, the ship kind of grows a wall that sort of just surrounds your peripheral vision. And like apparently, blinders. yeah, like blinders for a horse. And um, apparently, that that helps with motion sickness a lot because it. Uh, movement in your peripheral vision can also create motion sickness. Mm. Apparently, mm. Um, and there's also options to lock the uh the motion to the craft or lock the motion to the track so that you're not rocketing up and down mm. in time with the with the craft and stuff like that. So they've actually been really uh really really thoughtful and they put a lot of effort into making this uh good for virtual reality. And the crazy thing is that it wasn't even envisioned as a virtual reality game to to begin with. This is like a free update for the game. Yeah, that's uh, cool. PSVR owners is fantastic. That's and, awesome. Yeah, Wipeout has probably been the best virtual reality experience i've had i mean it's just it's thrilling it's incredible just the speeds you achieve and the tracks and you just feel like you're there and it's crazy now this is pod racing but not pod racing (laughs) (laughs) quotes said by ray during wipeout via Uh, interestingly enough for me you know there's not one action game that sort of um pops out as one of the most formative vr experiences i've had i think for me it's I think everyone has that that first time with VR where they go, wow, like, this is cool. And for me, it was, you know, speaking to the the head tracking movements that, that the VR has and also being able to track where you are in, in the room mm. um, means that there, is, there, was some, there was some really interesting moments where um, I was playing one of the PlayStation uh, Playroom um, games and it was like a cute little platformer that I was playing. I forget the name of it. But there was a, one point where I literally got on the the floor of my lounge room and I realized that 
the ca- the camera in the game, the first person camera, was was tracking where my head was going, mm. and I'd I'd put my head right down to the floor, and I would literally be touching the grass in the game, and that was really really mind blowing to me for some reason. My friends actually got a video he filmed of me while he was in the room oh. with me, and I'm I'm just like looking like an idiot on the floor playing this thing just absolutely going crazy i'd be interested in seeing that footage maybe i can maybe i'll pull it out yeah yeah we should post it to the z games facebook page oh. or is it too embarrassing look for you? we'll see yeah we'll see stay tuned maybe yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah to me you know you, you know you've got action games which are fun and you know they're great I think you can't interact with them for too long because there is inevitably going to be some of that motion sickness that kind of creeps up. Depends who you are. Depends how much of an iron stomach you have to it, as you'd say. Mm. Um, you know, we had uh, the the creator of the, the virtual song lines, song lines project in earlier um, for an interview, and we spoke to an application for VR where you know, you'd be able to explore a, a space and, and, and learn from that from a historical perspective. And I think that that's where VR is really exciting to me. You know, being able to take that slow, methodical approach to game design or even just world building or not even necessarily a game, you know, just being able to explore a space that you couldn't explore in reality yeah. in VR and have that head tracking, have that motion tracking, have that that spatial sort of, I guess, currency that you couldn't have without VR. I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, one of I've been downloading demos like crazy uh, for the PlayStation VR since I got it. And um, one of the ones I got was the Hatsumi mm. with that, that virtual... Hatsumi Miku? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you, so you're in a virtual concert? Yeah, that was <laughs> yep. really crazy. That was, I actually totally forgot about that. That was one of the other games that my uh, my, my <laughs> friend um, filmed me playing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you've got two of the PlayStation Move controllers yeah. and you're at a virtual... Hatsune Miku concert, which to anyone who doesn't know is a virtual character that sings through the use of Vocaloid voice synthesizer software. Mm-hmm. Um, and these concerts are known for having just enormous bright crowds full of these, uh, these neon light sticks. And in that game, you're one of those crowd members holding those neon light sticks and your job <laughs> is to, you know, essentially be the hype, hype person for the concert. Yeah, it's incredible. Wave your arms about like a mad person. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, the whole thing is, is ridiculous and silly, but when you're uh, playing the game, when you're in that space, it just it's really immersive being surrounded by all these dark crowd members. Mm. And you can be up the front row and you're just looking up and you, you tilt your head up to, to, see, to see her, you know. And it just feels like you're there, even though it's all crazy and cartoonish. And um, yeah, it... it really got my imagination going for for applications like like actual um virtual concerts like real concerts yeah and being present there some guy could wear like a uh, like a 3d camera in the crowd and you could you could be alongside him or her man um in real time maybe maybe that's the future i missed out on on splinter in the grass tickets so you know i that would be really great <laughs> i just i'd love that so i yeah. can just be you know front and center with uh with kendrick that'd be fantastic mm. please someone make that uh, I also got the uh, PlayStation World demo thing for the PlayStation VR as a free download. Yes. And um, that's pretty cool as well. I think that's what I was speaking to earlier uh, when I said I was playing like a... It was like a cutesy platformer game with like green grass. Oh, that that's the uh, the Playroom VR, uh, oh, is which is made by a Japan studio. Okay. Uh, but there's another I one, I think, made by a, a London studio. Um, and that, that's got like a... 
a deep sea diving kind of thing where you're in a cage and there's yeah, sharks. Yeah, that's you. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then, yep. and then there's like a uh, like a 3D pong where you move your head around to to bat the ball that's coming straight for you, and that that sort of hurts your neck. Oh right? yeah. But there's a uh, one portion of it called the London Heist, uh, which is by far the best on the on the uh, of the game of all the games there. And um, it's sort of like a narrative adventure where you're a, a guy that's pulled off a heist and it sort of goes back in time, like, you know, a caper film style between you being interrogated by the, the crime boss because it went wrong and, and you actually playing out those those heist sequences. And so it has you, like, uh, shooting out you know, big shootout in the jewelry store, and like there's a there's a car chase where you got an Uzi and you're, you're blasting people with with Uzis and stuff, and that's that's really incredible. See, um, that's cool, but I mean, you know, there's a deep sea diving mode, and uh, you know, you haven't really experienced the delights of VR until you've had your your mum put on the VR set and uh, going, wow, this is incredible. And then as soon as she sees the shark, you know, it's all, it's all south from there. That was, yeah. uh, that was a fun time. I felt, <laughs> I felt horrible. But it was also great. It was all fun and games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is one game I got, uh, Robinson The Journey. Uh, th- I got that just when I got the, the headset, and that was not good. It's made by the same guys who made the Far Cry games. And, um, yeah, it was just a really... Bit, bit of a shoddy experience. You, it it's, looks cool on paper, like you've got. It's a sci-fi game where you're uh, in a world inhabited by dinosaurs, and mm. that's that's. I just heard that and I thought, okay, that's the game I've got to get. But it has you doing like really menial tasks, like fixing like antennas, putting them back onto the the transmitting thing. Just and, give us Jurassic VR. Yeah, 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 and it was really fiddly, and I had to return the game. So. On the whole, though, you know, I'd say VR's been great so far, and I can't wait to see where they take it next. I think we've come a long way since the days of the virtual boy. Absolutely. Uh, that's all the time we have for in this episode of Zed Games. Thanks so much for your company. We'll be back next week at the same time. Catch you guys next week. Good night.